Hello and welcome to 99 from 99, the movie podcast where we take you back to the past and cover 99 films or more from the year 1999. I'm your stubborn Kentuckian host, Michael Denniston, joined every week by madman of the airwaves, Ben Zook. Why take a journey to the past? Well, perhaps like you, we've looked out our window and seen the world grow smaller, colder, and scarier. Not here. So sit back, relax, and come back with us to a time when theaters were full, tickets were affordable, and there were so many good movies, you couldn't possibly catch them all. That's what this podcast is here to do. So we hope you take the entire trip with us, 99 episodes on the films from 1999. you to hit me as hard as you can i'm scared to close my eyes i see dead people i believe you have my papler now that i've met you would you object to never seeing me again this is not just a couch it's just our couch take the red pill and i show you how deep the rabbit hole goes leave the light on after bedtime I always thought it'd be better to be a fake somebody, a real nobody. Are we gonna air it? Of course not. What the hell do you think you're doing? We're having everyone write out a job description. That way management can assess who's valuable and who's expendable. My parents are trying to take an active interest in me. Why can't they just have their own lives? I'm so proud of you. You didn't screw up once. Oh my God, it says psycho next door. Jane, what if he worships you? I didn't mean to scare you. I'm not obsessing, I'm just curious. Why does he dress like a Bible salesman? Today I quit my job, and then I blackmailed my boss for almost $60,000 past these barriers. Your dad's actually kind of cute. I think he and your mother have not slept together in a long time. Shut up. You think you're the only one who's frustrated. I'm not? Well then, come on, baby, I'm ready. Welcome to America's weirdest home videos. This is for your own good boy. There are rules in life. Yes, sir. Don't give up on me, Dad. Smile. You're at Mr. Smiley's. You are so busted. I love shooting this gun. Sometimes there's so much beauty in the world. I feel like I can't take it. How, how are we starting this one again? Are we, are we well, starting? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Other? Yeah. <laughs> um, so this is my opinion here is that we could try and talk about the movie uh, and then we would like go on and on for a few minutes and we would kind of dance around it and everything. <laughs> and I feel like with a movie like this that is so much about characters who have trouble talking to each other and being honest and open with each other. Wouldn't it be in the spirit of the movie to just kind of get it all out in the open so we can actually discuss the movie without feeling like we have any hangups over uh, how, you know, how we're viewing it in light of, Okay, so I mean, if, we, if you agree to that, then then I think we should just you know, we should. I mean, just do I don't that. feel like we need to to drag Wes Bentley's uh, drug and alcohol problems, you know, through the mud. But if you want to, that's fine with me. <laughs> 
Okay, I didn't know about that. And, you know, I feel bad. I feel bad because, uh, you know, he deserves some attention. You know, drug abuse is not a good thing. Uh, He'll get some when we actually talk about the movie. How about that? Exactly. Exactly. In fact, I'm sure he's, you know, would not want to trade places with uh, Kevin Spacey <laughs> at this point. Uh, so, so yeah. And so when we started this podcast, uh, I don't believe the whole Kevin Spacey scandal had broken yet. And so... Uh, it, uh, you know, obviously when it did, I like in the back of my head, I was thinking, well, when we get to American beauty, this is going to be very, very awkward. And I obviously, you know, haven't, re- this is a movie I quite enjoy rewatching and have rewatched several times throughout the years, but obviously in the last two years or so, I haven't rewatched it. And that's not just because I was saving it up for, you know, this podcast, but because, you know, it's very uncomfortable now to watch a movie uh, that's starring a guy who we now know, uh, is, you know, is a serial uh, pedophile. And uh, it, when so much of the movie relies on you having an empathetic through line with his character, uh, you know, it's hard. It's hard to ignore that and and just pretend like it doesn't exist. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it it's it's really. Un- I think it's really unfortunate. And I think it's awful. And, you know, ultimately movies like this are not the product, you know, of one person. And so the fact that, you know, all the like hundreds of people, hundreds, thousands of people, uh, all their hard work, uh, some of which is, you know, debatably the best of their career, you know, it's always going to be at least I would say for the next like 15 years or so going to be discussed in this prism of the of, you know, its lead stars uh, scandals. And, you know, that sucks. Uh, so, Deniston, did you find that to be uh, difficult? No, not really. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I think because I've this has obviously come up on previous podcasts, maybe not this one, but uh, especially during the the height of uh, some allegations made uh, when the Me Too movement started, uh, where, you know, I, I think everyone had to sort of draw their own lines in the sand and i guess i come at it maybe in the spirit of american beauty or the i guess the original script a little more cynically anyway where i just assume that the people i'm watching are scumbags or you know they have their own uh hang-ups if you want to go you know put it politely i guess um this one i mean i understand what you're saying though in regards to the you know the central hook of this movie the the what kickstarts this character's motivation is his sexual infatuation with his daughter's teenage friend um however um not getting too far into the just the film discussion i i always thought that even regardless of a scandal about our lead actor here that this hit a particular window when it released where i don't remember that being like Oh, you've got to see this controversial movie about this mm-hmm. middle-aged man mm-hmm. that's trying to sleep with a 16-year-old girl. Like, I don't remember anyone ever talking about it in that way. And I don't know if it's that everyone saw themselves as this character of Lester, where they're just, like, sort of enthralled uh, with all the other sort of uh, little mini-explosions he sets off in his life on this particular quest. You know, he gets to tell us not his boss, but this, like, middle management type off Um it's something we'll see later uh, very quickly in Fight Club. Very similar thing where a guy gets or one year severance to just go fuck around and do whatever he wants. Uh, you know, he has these 
somewhat uh, controlling uh, wife uh, who gets to tell off. And I, I felt like people just reveled in all of the pure joys of this sort of anarchy that he, the character was living in, that somehow they were able to put aside the, <laughs> you know, the criminal acts uh, that, that set all these things in, in motion. So even before all of that, I wondered how this one would age. And I'm guessing uh, Kevin Spacey's involvement is probably like, you know, that's the, the nail in the coffin for that, where there's going to there's gonna be some people that just don't want to revisit this movie if they previously had a good experience with it. Yeah, I think so. And I think that's really unfortunate and not uh it's not right uh like <laughs> uh uh because so okay um you know i i called this you know the the like the film of 1999 on our last episode and i and i really do objectively believe that uh you know if you say 1999 i think this would be the first film that would pop into most people's heads uh, not just because it won Best Picture, but it was also a commercial hit. It also, you know, really, it, it sort of united everyone in a way. <laughs> uh, it united critics and audiences, uh, and there there wasn't much suspense leading into the Oscars that year about about what was going to win. Uh, everyone pretty much thought it was going to be American Beauty, and so. And so, yeah, it, I don't know. I guess it 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 it, it makes it suck for for our podcast because you know there's. Not <laughs> <laughs> I think you've got uh, the uh, quote from Lester in the uh, you know the intro montage. I mean, you know how you obviously <laughs> are not going to uh, exile American Beauty in that regard because, as you said, it's one of the more uh, famous ones, famous offerings we'd have. Um, but I think you know when we get into the movie, I also remember, and probably because of the best picture win, it's it's March that sort of inevitable victory that you said it was going to have. Uh, I do remember some you know backlash against it, uh, which I think I probably had a little bit of uh, as a teenager. Um, and unlike you, this is not one that I re- revisited that often. Like I enjoyed it on its initial release, but I think you know a month. A month later, I was already like really into like three other movies like that I was really engaged with. So, yeah, I mean, I think for this being like the the marriage of critical acclaim and you know sort of commercial art, um, it, it does it very well. But I don't know. I, even before Spacey, I don't know if this would be the one people think of uh, as like you know the nineteen ninety nine movie. I mean, I I'm gonna stick with that hypothesis. I, I would mean, say the Matrix, <laughs> honestly. And I mean, well, I, I mean, the Matrix would definitely pop up, I'm sure. Uh, but I also think, okay, so uh, many many years ago, uh, I was in a film class, and uh, I was, it was a lecture where uh, the 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 instructor asked for people to you know name the best movies from the previous year, and this was, the previous year would have been 2008 at that time. And everyone started naming, uh, you know, they, they, they named Slumdog Millionaire. Uh, they na- or not, yeah, they named Slumdog Millionaire. They named Curious Case of Benjamin Button. They named, what were the other films? Frost Nixon, Milk. Uh, and then Jesus. one person named The Reader. And, and the, the, the instructor was obviously trying to bait people to talk about The Dark Knight and Wally. Uh, and there is like a sort of funny uh, thing that happens where people want to kind of be with the crowd uh, uh, when it comes to like naming, you know, your, your uh, like best movie of whatever. And I think that always kind of like, like, yeah, American beauty winning best picture, obviously it probably sets in a bit of backlash. Um, But I don't know. I think at this point, 
Um, I like, I see this brought up quite a lot culturally, not, uh, you know, unfortunately now, you know, it's being brought up, uh, you know, in connection with, you know, this, you know, this horrible, uh, this horrible thing. And, um, you know, so I don't know. I just think it's sad in general that such a strong film, you know, such an iconic film for 1999, uh, is now probably uh you know its whole its whole legacy is going to be affected by this and it, it 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 for i mean for me definitely this is really up there this is you know this is in the you know at the very top uh i i remember feeling somewhat of a backlash to it as a as a young person but that was really just honestly it was just like you know me being a contrarian um and and you know uh, obviously a lot has changed since then. Um, by the time, by around like five <laughs> years later, when, you know, revisiting it in, uh, you know, in film courses and film textbooks and everything, it, it was a real, it was a major eye opener, uh, for me, uh, seeing so- these sort of small mise-en-scene touches that you don't necessarily notice or are aware of as an audience, such as the framing of Lester Burnham and uh, Carolyn uh, and all the other characters being within uh, frames uh, here. Uh, late in the movie, we get a shot of, uh, uh, what's, her, what's her name? Um, this blonde uh, who we've seen before. What's her name? The Mina Savari character. Mina Savari. We get a frame of Mina Savari. Uh, you know, it's her, it's her only, t- she's really broken down and crying. And it's the only time we see her vulnerable like that in the film. And she's shot through the, uh, uh frame of the staircase. Uh, and, and so showing, you know, all these characters within prisms, within cages, uh, you know, of themselves. And we get that with Lester on the computer monitor early on in the film uh, the, there's tons of stuff here that you wouldn't necessarily, uh, think, uh, think of on, on a first viewing, uh, when you're just sort of wrapped up in, in what the characters, you know, themselves are, are, are doing. And I'll be honest, like I found, I did, I did find this viewing really tough because you, you know, you definitely are supposed to empathize with Lester, and think that you know, and be really rooting for him to uh, be be able to find a way to get in touch with his younger self and to live his life with more passion and everything. You're not. I don't think you're. I don't think you're necessarily supposed to be rooting for him to sleep with Angela. Um, you know, but some people do. Uh, but I think the movie has you know definitely treats that subject matter with responsibility. Uh, the responsibility that, you know, Mr. Spacey should have had. Uh, and <laughs> See, I always thought that was sort of a cop-out, the way that it ends. Because it's Why? like... Well, because the audience has had so much fucking fun with this guy, you know, smoking pot, uh, being, uh, you know, in my view, uh, kind of crossing the line with his abuse of his wife, um, taking really no ownership of his sort of what he's contributed to the marriage and maybe why the relationship is the way there is. It's just, he easily, you know, he lashes out in a very sort of teenage way that, you know, everyone is sort of out to get him or out to, you know, kill his buzz in some way. So if you've been building to uh, him sleeping with this young girl, I would, you know, I would much rather the film had not felt the need to take us to the point where he has her 
uh, half naked and the fact that she reveals that she's a virgin and he's like, well, I can't do that. Like now that that's, that is a bridge too far. Well, but wait a second, wait a second. You think he stops just because she's a virgin? Absolutely. Okay. She, I don't, I don't think that's, that's never been my read of the film. I think he stops because he realizes that she is not the, you know, experienced, uh, you know, sexual, and not that it makes it any better, but right. I think he finally—I mean, he, he think he finally realizes what this obsession has been, and I think the film, you know, not so subtly uh, indicates that to you. I mean, every time he fantasizes about Angela, you see roses, and roses are in the beginning linked to Carolyn. So he's really—I mean, so and like I said, I don't think you're supposed to empathize with that whole. Uh, obsession that he has, I think you are supposed to see it as, yeah, he's acting out like a teenager would. Uh, and and sure, there's no harm in him quitting his job and uh, taking a job at Mr. Smiley's or whatever, uh, you know, as long as they're financially, him and his family are financially secure, fine, we can root for that and everything. I don't think people are necessarily supposed to root for him to to sleep with Angela. I think we're supposed to take on a more of a third party uh, perspective here uh, and be wiser than him and, and be rooting for him not to make that mistake. Um, well, yeah, I mean, this... if he does, people turn against the movie. If he actually completes sure, his task. Sure. And I feel like that's that's a braver choice, in my view, because you, you've, you have reveled in this guy. Uh, and I mean, the, the film sets it up. He's going to be dead, you know, within a year. And even when we get to that day, you know, he, he talks about in the voiceover, you know, this every day is the first day of your life except for the day you die. So, you know, OK, this is it. We've got our ticking clock and we've got all these various suspects that the film kind of pushes forward. If you're into the uh, the murder mystery aspect of it, um, I I just I was even as a teenager, I was always uncomfortable with that because I remember, uh, you know, my parents and uh, teachers. I was I was in high school at the time, really loving this movie. And it's almost as if the fact that he was going to fuck a teenager uh, was never actually going to happen. Like, oh, well, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, he has his fantasies. But, you know, we, we're, we're comfortable with the movie enough that they're not going to take us that far. And that always, that always sort of struck me kind of as a, like a wrong note to play, that there was never any fear that he would cross that particular line. Because if he did, you know, what, what sort of movie have, have I been watching up to this point? I just think it's, uh, I mean, it's, the whole thing is, you know, it lives in this sort of, alternate heightened reality um you know it, it's definitely i think if you look at the the screenwriter's work you know he really sort of leans more into that really broad sort of satire but i yeah i, th- I think the movie that's you know that's where i kind of kind of check out of it um because i, I just wish that there's not even that scene with her i i really think that the the uh, angela character is kind of problematic so her just being some sort of muse or siren song to like the jump off point i kind of wish the character makes that turn before he has her undressed and no longer sees her as a whore see i just think you have so much sympathy for all the characters throughout even even the one who is obviously beyond redemption uh chris cooper's character here uh you know i just never i just never question it in that regard uh it's one of the things i love about the film that you're not really being given a uh, you know, a black and white story of uh, hero versus villain here. Um, you know, it's very rich and nuanced and you kind of have torn loyalties, uh, you know, throughout the movie. Um, I've always heard, I've always heard this criticism of it that people find it, find the Carolyn 
character as uh, sexist. And I just think it's a really lame uh, criticism of the film because I think anyone watching this can obviously see that she, you know, is, is going through a lot of the same conflicts as Lester. And we, I think there are times in this movie where we, where we like her a lot more, uh, the, you know, than him. The scene on the couch. Christ, Carolyn. When did you become so joyless? Joyless? I am not joyless. There happens to be a lot about me that you don't know, Mr. Smarty Man. There is plenty of joy in my life. Whatever happened to that girl? Who used to fake seizures at front parties when she got bored? We used to run up to the roof of our first apartment building to flash the traffic helicopters. <laughs> Have you totally forgotten about her? Because I haven't. Lester, you're gonna spill beer on the couch. So what? It's just a couch. This is a $4,000 sofa upholstered in Italian silk. This is not just a couch. It's just a couch! This isn't life. This is just stuff. And it's become more important to you than living. Well, honey, that's just nuts. Y you know, what, what, I think, what I think people miss a lot is that it isn't just her materialism and everything that is preventing them from having a romantic moment. It's also him. It's his overreaction that is doing that as well. And I think it's, it, it, it's sort of like a baseline reading of the film to just take it as, oh, we're supposed to be rooting for uh, Lester the whole time. And if, and if we're not, then, uh, you know, then obviously the movie's failed. I mean, I think most people are just rooting for him the whole time. I, I don't, I think they're, you know, I think office space is probably more nuanced as far as its handling of the main character. Now, as far as Carolyn, I, she's the only one that as this movie like ages up with me, I guess that I, uh, that I enjoy the whole time. Like, I, I think she's far more interesting than, than Lester. And like, I, I find her funny, even when she's going on those, sort of long winded uh, rants where she's like sort of trying to find <laughs> like she's trying to find some sort of strange connection with her husband uh, in this sort of battering ram style where it's like, where she's just like, clearly they're just so far apart from each other as far as how they see even like normal, I guess, you know, social uh, social interactions or how you're supposed to behave. Uh, you know, there's, you could easily make this movie from her perspective. And I think it would, keep a similar similar tone and uh you know similar endpoint that the the people in this marriage are trying to get to you would of course lose the infatuation with a, a teenager but you know she has her own uh extramarital affair which at times is played for a laugh and at times is um you know it's it's completely unsatisfying like to this woman and so it's you know i feel for her there i, I don't i never really got the you know 
she's like a sexist interpretation uh or that's like an entirely masculine view of like you know the wife and the marriage i just felt like she's obviously had to pick up where he's left off uh as far as accepting and maybe embracing like where people are supposed to be like at particular points in their life financially or uh you know caring about the couch you know there's a practical reason that they spent you know, a lot of money on this. So, you know, why would I want someone to spill anything on it? Like, why does that, why does that necessitate that we have to stop, uh, this, you know, what we're about to do as far as having sex on the couch here. Um, I was like that moment where she's, she sort of winces like she, cause she realizes like, okay, we're going to go, it's like we're two boxers going back to our corners now. Like we, we almost sort of met here in the middle and now, now we have to like re-engage with the positions that we've taken for the last, I don't, I can't remember how long Lester said their marriage has been, and not great, but let's just say like the last decade or so. Um, I mean, it's, I think that's probably unfair because most of the characters are fairly broad. I mean, the Chris Cooper character, Allison Janney, like you can't say that those are like particularly like three dimensional, you know, at least the way the In characters way? mostly produce. I mean, uh, Chris well, Cooper Allison Janney is a mute. Allison Janney's a mute. Well, I mean, that's you. Jenny that's, is under Jenny is under underdeveloped and underused and everything, yes. but she serves her purpose in the story. I mean, I don't like like we're talking about a mm. character that has maybe five minutes of screen time, if that. I mean, she serves her purpose only in that she is there to sort of uh, reaffirm like how terrible it would be to live with the Chris Chris Cooper character. That's I mean, I find that unfortunate, and I think at times it's played for. For laughs, like you, you have the sequence where Wes Bentley, as the son comes home, and you've seen uh, Cooper like sort of laughing at this, I don't know, fifties, you know, sitcom or sort of some sort of military like movie he's watched or what, you know, war comedy. And as soon as the son comes in, you know, he's already like he's set straight up, and you know, he's he's playing this sort of authoritative figure, and and you have Allison Janney who's just sort of blank like throughout that, and you know, asking like, you know, did you say something or what? And that's what so, I find. See, that's what I find interesting is even Ricky, even Ricky, a character, you know, who we're we're, we're set up to like. Uh, even he is pretty out of touch from his mother's inner turmoil, and we see that in the in the in well, he the just breakfast care. scene. I don't think like, that's like true. A, I don't think that's true. I think so. I don't think he, I mean, he's totally focused on himself in that regard, which is fine at, at his age. And uh, it's realistic. His, it's realistic yeah. and believable. Yeah, um, I, but I, I think he cares I only so he much. Truly, as, I think if he truly, if he was old, if he was five years older, I think this would play out very differently. I think he would be more aware of, of what she's going through and we would, we'd, and, and she would end up being more part, more central to the story, but she's not. I mean, she, there, I see the Fitzes as really more, more of like, like uh, standing in contrast to the Burnhams. And so they're sort of like what the Burnhams would be if the, if there was really no uh, chance for a saving grace uh, between them, uh, they will never be whole, as a family and, and that really rests uh, completely on, on Frank Fitz, uh, Chris Cooper's character. Um, so. Uh, I don't know if I agree with that. <laughs> I mean, he does, he does, you know, start to, uh, you know, he kisses Kevin Spacey's character and, you know, there's some sort of exploration going on there of what, what he truly feels and believes and something that's very painful for him to, to that he would not want to show the world. So, I mean, there, there's an opportunity now, given that by the end of the film, he has shot his next door neighbor and murdered him. Yeah. I would say, say at this point, yeah, that's, there's, there's no redemption coming, but I think there, there was a chance, but like, 
like a lot of films, you know, it's like what it's exploring is the fact that all the things that are unsaid, like, you know, if there was just an honest conversation, there's a, a lot of negativity and a, a lot of disconnect that could have been saved. But the the only ones that I sort of absolve from that are the teenagers because they're, they're kids. Like that's, you know, there's the, sure, a, sure. a need to, you know, to rebel in that way. So I don't have anything against Jane or Ricky and they're, they're sort of, uh, you know, they're going to leave that night and go start a new life in New York together. And even this choice for them to leave and, and, you know, and everything, I don't know if I'm completely on board with that. I, I think I kind of, kind of agree, uh, with Mena Suvari, uh, the, you know, that maybe, maybe this is not the best idea, but I, but I totally understand it, uh, and everything. It's way more in line with who Lester and Carolyn would have been as younger people and, and, you know, it, so much of the movie, I think, is about people in midlife crises trying to get back to their younger selves, trying to recapture the passion that they had for life and for the world when they were younger. And so, you know, I don't, I don't know. I just think when I think when people toss the movie off as, you, you know, uh, that, it, it, you know, it's it's more unfair than, than, uh, uh, than even, uh, even Spacey's betrayal. Uh, to <laughs> I mean, I get it. I, I find the movie entertaining, but like uh, just having the Wikipedia page up and I, you know, see the, the themes analysis section. I'm like, God, this reads like a bunch of horse shit. Like it just like reads like we're really trying to reach here for something that at times, you know, I don't, for my personal tastes, like I, I don't find the, the direction taking the story, like where I, I would feel comfortable with the story going or wish it would go. And I don't know, like the, the only thing that is interesting is seeing the sort of push and pull as far as Alan Ball, the, the screenwriter and Sam Mendes, like, you know, having, you know, very distinct takes on this, this story where, you know, the writer had a very, very negative feelings about the characters and the situations they find themselves in. And Mendes wanted to take it in a more, positive almost life-affirming bit and i well, think you feel that push and pull as you watch it well the final film is very different from the original script and i know you like it when we bring up the deleted scenes and alternate endings and stuff uh i i know you love it i know you it's a favorite thing <laughs> uh but you know what's funny is is we're going through all these films from 1999 and i don't know if it's just the year or or what it is about it but but so many movies that we've talked about have had uh, you know, famous alternate endings and famous uh, deleted scenes and everything. Um, so in the case of American Beauty, and I remember this being talked about somewhat, even when it was, uh, you know, up for the Oscar. So originally, and this is a major spoiler for the film. I don't think we've quite spoiled anything uh, yet. So major spoiler for the film, if you haven't seen it already. Uh, and I think, you know, you obviously should, because uh, it is, you know, one of 1999's highlights. Um, so the original opening was supposed to open with Wes Bentley and Thora Birch in prison. And from there it flashes back and tells the whole story of how Lester uh, was shot. And uh, basically the video that we see, the video that we see them making ends up being used as evidence. And the, 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 the the original ending had had uh, Wes Bentley, I guess, singing uh, "Us and Them" uh, by Pink Floyd. Uh, oh, uh, you know, and so um, it's one of those funny things. And so this is Sam Mendes' first film, and Sam Mendes is a director I, I hold in great regard, uh, with the exception of Spectre. 
I think every single one of his films has been like one of one of the best, uh, at least in the top 20 of every year that's came out. And, and I find it surprising that he really has never had the same level of acclaim um, as, you know, as he had uh, with American Beauty. And so this is his first film and he's known as a theater director and he's mostly known for bold reimaginings of, uh, um, you know, musicals. And so he, he had a revival of Cabaret that he directed that like ran for years in New York and everything. And so he is uh, totally inexperienced, uh, you know, as a filmmaker. And he's working with Conrad L. Hall, who is one of the, you know, most famous DPs of all time. And so obviously, you know, he's working with real, you know, A-lister material, A-lister cast. Uh, Thomas Newman is the composer, you know, another A-lister. And so he's being given a lot of support and faith, uh, you know, on this film. And that, you know, shouldn't be understated. But at the same time, he really, like, hits it out of the park. Uh, You know, I would never... It's one of the... It's it's very similar, and I'm not going to say it's as good as Citizen Kane, but it's very similar to that kind Whoa. of debut. Uh, that that you know, because th- no one was around was around to tell him that he couldn't do these things in his first film or whatever, he ends up doing them. And then I and I, I feel the same way about the way that he uh, ended up editing the film and sort of reimagining it as more more of a fantasy uh, kind of tale. Uh, the, the, this opening shot w- was never meant to, to be the opening shot, this big wide view of suburbia that we get with Lester's narration. Uh, we were never supposed to have this ending with, uh, you know, narr- narrated by Lester talking about his life and about, uh, wh- you, you know, um, uh, what what happens, you know, when you die and everything. Uh, you know, I find I, it's a movie of happy accidents, and uh, I, you know, it's one of those things that it, that it's it's hard, I think, to describe to people if they if they haven't gone through the process of of uh, of making a movie or writing something or or do, you know doing something creatively on their own that was like a big venture and everything. Um, sometimes you have to just put, uh, faith into, <laughs> uh, the movie making gods and, and trust that something is going to turn out all right. And to me, that's what happened. And look, look, Dennison, I respect that you dislike this movie. I respect your criticisms. Oh, I don't dislike it. <laughs> I think, I think it's fine entertainment, but I, well, okay, I, I, I think do... it's, I think it's much more. Yeah, and, and you know, and to me, it's just it, it's it's a miracle of a movie when you find out that that it was originally not supposed to to touch on a lot of these themes, and then it did. And I don't think when you discover that that that, that it's like, oh well, yes, now we can now we can see the the kinks, you know, in the system and everything. Uh, you, you know, it's one of those movies that uh, I really hope people will uh, come back to, despite uh, all the baggage it now has. So, I just don't find it that challenging of a, of a movie. So I was just I was just surprised to see all of this nonsense, uh, you know, written about it. That you know, because to me it is it it falls directly in line with Office Space, Fight Club, uh, with this sort of celebration or this expectation that that men in particular uh, want to regress at some point, and how they mask that regression 
as progression in some way, as if they've they've discovered something that no one else has has gone through. And it's I, you know, I I I think the movie hinges a lot on how far you can go with Lester in in that regard uh, before before he gets smacked around. And for for my money, he doesn't get smacked around nearly enough. Like you know, even in death, he's he's talking about how great it is. You know, this 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 one moment of ecstasy that goes on forever and well yeah, he, he promised that he promises that you're gonna get that too so you know you, you have something I, to look forward to <laughs> you know I, I would enjoy annette benning's presence a lot more uh in life than i would in death because I, I found her i found her hilarious i thought she was she was great um and you know also how far can you tap back into the the teenage horse shit of Ricky Fitz with that bag floating and I I remembered people at the time like oh my god so we're gonna look. talk shit about the about the bag flying scene it was one of those days where it's a minute away from snowing and there's this electricity in the air you can almost hear it right. And this bag was just dancing with me. Like a little kid begging me to play with it. For 15 minutes. That's the day I realized that there was this entire life behind things. And this incredibly benevolent force that wanted me to know that there was no reason to be afraid. Ever. Video's a poor excuse, I know. But it helps me remember. I need to remember. Sometimes there's so much beauty in the world. I feel like I can't take it. And my heart is just going to cave in. Well, it's it's pretty stupid. I mean, it is it is a stupid thing, and I think it's... I don't think like when the stuff I'm I'm reading here, some of the takes on this, I, I'm just like, see, this is why people like probably come out far more negative about something where they're just like, well, yeah, I can see it from like his point of view, but I don't think it translates to everyone. So if you're trying to make this floating plastic bag that, you know, held shit from a pharmacy or something uh, that just happened to like float by this kid who records everything. He doesn't not, he does not have a discerning eye. Like, I mean, we see his wall of tapes and all of that. Um, what's important is that you believe it means something to him. And I think in Wes Bentley's performance, I get that. But what I, what I have a problem with is, is people saying like, no, here's what it meant. And it should mean this exactly to you. I, I always, that's where I, well, my back gets see, up. I, I, I never subscribe to that idea of film criticism and film analysis. Uh, you know, I think you can definitely have multiple interpretations and multiple, you know, ideas uh, of thing, but, but, you know, to me, to me, to me, it's just sort of the idea of, 
you know, order in the universe of there being this mystical kind of thing and this belief in higher power and everything. And, and I don't think the film is overly concerned, uh, you, you know, with religion or anything like that, but there is a strong sense of, you know, that, uh, that, that life is controlled by something, uh, greater. And, and that's what Ricky sees in the bag. And I completely identify, you, you know what it is, is that it's like, it, the movie isn't asking you to believe in that. It's asking you to, remember what it felt like to be that age and to see that much in, in something so simplistic. Uh, and we pass by, you know, so many beautiful things in the world. And I'm starting to sound like a Hallmark card. Uh, mm-hmm. and I know that like the film, but not fair. And, and that was, that was, <laughs> that was aimed at me, not the film. So I just want to point out that, you know, uh, that I have not gotten personal and you have like Jack Nicholson says to Helen Hunt and as good as it gets. I so, said like the film. That's all. I didn't say like <laughs> you are Ricky Fitz. I'm just saying you're okay. I you're would be, hey, 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 hey. I, I would be very happy to be Ricky Fitz, uh, right now, you know, um, from an age point of view. Cause both. I, I don't know. <laughs> okay. I'm just thinking, like, I don't, you know, depending at what point in the film, I don't know, because they do cut away as far as, uh, you know, there, there's going to be a lot of red tape for poor Ricky Fitz and Jane. I don't, I don't think body. so. I don't think so. Um, you know, the thing of, I mean, you know, I guess you can talk about what, yeah, that was the original intention, but I don't think necessarily in the film that ended up getting made that that's what's going to happen. Um, you know, I yeah, think they'll, the dad I, is covered in blood. Yeah, I think they'll, <laughs> I think it'll be pretty easy for the cops to identify, uh, Chris Cooper as, you know, as the guy who do, you know, um, but the, but the, their plight changes, you know, their, their fantasy, uh, romance, uh, mm-hmm. has a different bent there. And I mean, I, you know, there's a little bit of that, like my sort of, I guess, imagining of where the story goes next. I like that a lot more, you know, they're forced to to grow up far faster, you know, than what they, you know, and there's a tragedy there that <laughs> poor Jane, her dad, even in death has removed some of the teenage rebellion that she was about to take part in the, the rebellion that he's just gone through again for the second time of his life. Now she has to like, you know, she has to be strong. I'm assuming for a mom and you know, the, the, the New York plans I'm assuming are off the table. That's That would be actually incredibly cruel if they leave for net bidding to deal with the aftermath there. I mean, there could be a sequel. I mean, you know, <laughs> no, I mean, I they wouldn't involve Spacey, obviously. And there you go. Well, we saw how well House of Cards did when it tried to wrap up without him. So, yeah, I think, well, I think he's the dead. I mean, he's past. already dead. So, I mean, I really don't think see him coming back. Um, so, you know, uh, I guess to me, what I would go back to is that what's great about this film it captured so many people's minds and hearts. It, it, it you know, it, it's a piece of art that was was concerned with so many higher level things, but wasn't aimed at elites. And that's what we see today. We, you know, movies are unable to accomplish what this movie did in 1999, even if it did it by accident. I think I, I think and I've, I'm on record. I think this movie was a happy accident. I think you put those extra 30 minutes or whatever into the film and, you know, and it doesn't work. And, and apparently that was a very late in the game decision, uh, on, on Mendes's part. And so, you know, I think it gets tossed off, uh, at least in this podcast, uh, too much, um, <laughs> Look, because we're going to talk about it again. Picture win and because, and because, uh, you know, people continue to, you know, what's funny. Uh, I, this film seems to have, is probably the most polarized movie of a uh, uh, polarizing movie of 1999. I've had conversations 
with people who told me that they blamed this movie for the divorce of their parents and everything. And, and then they went into, you mm. know, great detail about how, oh, their father really saw himself like Lester Burnham and blow. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the father's fault. That's your father's fault. Yeah. Not yeah. the movie's fault. And, 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 and you know, it kind of, so yeah, it goes into the, the violence and cinema discussion we've had. Why is it that it's so easy to latch on to the argument that, uh, you know, movies are movies and your own personal decisions are your own personal decisions. You know, we, we, we latch onto that when it comes to violent content and everything. Uh, but for whatever reason, this movie gets, uh, and I'm not blaming you. I'm sort of, I'm, you know, talking about other people. Uh, this movie gets scapegoated, uh, you, you, you know, because it had an impact on people. And, and I just, you, you know, I, I, I find that, I find that frustrating, uh, and I think Mendes in general, Men- Sam Mendes in general, uh, you know, he, he has not gotten the amount of acclaim that, that he deserves. Even Skyfall, even Skyfall is considered really controversial amongst James Bond purists okay. uh, because the, they feel like it betrays the character to, to have him, uh, to have anything about his backstory explained at all. So. I mean, I, my view of it when I was just because I I don't have strong feelings about Sim Mendes. I've I've liked uh, probably like you. I guess I've liked everything but Spectre. I guess um, I, I just look at it and I I think it just feels too safe. His work maybe maybe there's just a lack of surprise where it's like because um, I when looking at it like I much prefer Revolutionary Road to American Beauty, which covers some similar ground, um, and I'm guessing I just. I just want like a Michael Shannon character to come and just like tear these people new assholes for one scene. And I just, I just sort of revel in that. Uh, but you know, all of his movies are greatly anticipated. You know, they're seen as sort of prestige, you know, projects, I guess. So maybe, maybe that's it. Maybe there's just not been one curveball where people feel like a sense of discovery, you know, with, as you said, him having uh Allegate, American beauty, best picture winner in a very competitive year. Uh, that's the only thing I can, I can really guess on that because I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't think he's like, <laughs> he's like seen as like overrated or underrated. I, I think people go to see his movies for the most part, enjoy them, but I don't, yeah, I don't hear a lot of people talk passionately about him either. I mean, you know, you, if you underappreciate good things and they come around, uh, you know, they won't come around so much. And, uh, you know, I definitely think, you know, we're well, at man a time is divorced. When, he's got well, kids, yeah, that's so sad. he's still got to work. That's sad. That's sad. Well, I was just I saying he's going to keep working, Ben. I mean, he's, he's well, he's put... not, not yeah. That's not that's you know. Sadly, I don't think that's how that that's you know works. <laughs> and he doesn't make that many movies. That's what's interesting about it is that you see he does about one a movie every three years or so, and, and doesn't do much in between. Uh, that's why people hate him, Ben. No work ethic. That's what you're saying. <laughs> that's the ticket. <laughs> But I mean, I could, I could see, I could see Sam Mendes being someone who maybe never, uh, who, who at a certain point, if the industry changes enough, they, you know, his kind of movies wouldn't get made, um, you know, at all. And I just wish know. he would make more Away We Goes. I, I felt like I love I, Away had, We Go. I, inc- yeah, I would include that, you know, in the yeah. in what I was talking about in terms of his filmography. Well, I'm sure we'll revisit it. You know, because you sound very positive on it, and uh, I'll have to go through this uh, all over again when we do our our wrap up, our own top ten for nineteen ninety nine. But and boy, do I look forward to that! I tell you that that's. Uh... <laughs> 
you can hate me, but you know what? I want to. So let's. I want to give both of us credit. Uh, right. I listen to a lot of podcasts and a lot of movie podcasts, and what I notice is that people will get to a point where they disagree with each other, and then they'll just acquiesce to each other uh, in some sort of lame, stupid way that is not interesting to, to listen wrap up. to. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or, or, or pe- I think people do this in conversation too, and I really hate it. I think it's stupid. Um, you know, obviously, if you feel strongly about something, if you feel strongly about American Beauty, obviously you should say why. And if you feel strongly about disliking or not th- or finding American Beauty overrated, as you do, Michael Dennison, then mm-hmm. yeah, then you should speak up and say why. So there you go. I'm a, I'm a simple man, Ben. You know, I, I much <laughs> more understand Ron Livingston just want to watch TV with his pretty girlfriend, you know, after work and not do anything. I don't I don't need to to have a big explanation of a floating plastic bag. I just I want to watch TV because it's comfortable and I like attractive women. That's it. Do you think it was the millennium that caused people to be so retrospective? At the end of uh, uh, 1999, with all these movies that are about middle class morality and, and you know, um, yeah, guys feeling unsatisfied with their life and wanting to uh, regress or, or feeling a need to regress and find out how they got to this place and everything. What if it wasn't the millennium? What do you think it was? Like, why do we have there three major movies? Three major mm. movies that we've named, and we haven't even really talked about the Matrix, which I think has elements of that. Yeah. Yeah, that falls uh-huh. into it as well. Um, I don't know, like uh things were good, right? We're this is right on the cusp of uh you know, the the internet bubble, you know. I, I think financially people were probably in a, a pretty good place, generally speaking. Uh obviously there are always always uh people like living on the on the margins, not so much. I mean that's that is something I could I've not heard it, but I'm sure Twitter would have a heyday with American beauty as far as being like the ultimate sort of first world problems mm-hmm. type movies but as you mentioned it's funny like the ones like uh fight club and the matrix and even office space to a, a certain degree are are celebrated and i don't often see those same charges like thrown against them maybe maybe it is the oscar win uh but i i feel like american beauty would be primed for a takedown like that we should hate all of these characters and not sympathize with any of them <laughs> okay um, okay well no, i mean <laughs> you you've been on twitter before like i mean you this yes one, yes it, <laughs> hive of villainy with, and cesspool. It's, it's awful yeah i mean it's it's a terrible place um i don't you know subscribe to that because i don't I don't want to see movies where it's like, you know, where you're, you know, abusive or cantankerous, like, you know, father or grandfather is like, you know, why should we care about that? Let me tell you about like the horrible things I went through as a kid. Like not everything should be a period piece about, you know, like the grapes of wrath, like people fighting for food. Um, So yes, everyone has a story to tell, but I I think this one uh, towards the millennium, that is probably good. Like, especially just, I guess, pre nine 11, really like mm-hmm. that's, that's where the, there's really that cutoff as far as the, the concerns of, I guess the world and uh, where studios thought the concerns of the moviegoers would be. Uh, it's very different. And there are a lot of like really dark movies about, you know, small lives that I think sort of got lost in the shuffle immediately following nine 11, which is unfortunate. Um, so that's one reason we're doing it. I mean, this year it feels like people are open to these stories, uh, and we're not ready to, to take them down just because it's about, you know, a horny man who's not getting laid, uh, is unsatisfied with his marriage and his job. Like people, this was like an event film in that way. And that's definitely not going to happen, uh, in 2019. And it was, it was kind of a sleeper too. It didn't, I remember when it opened, you know, it was, people weren't really sure what to 
um, make of its uh, initial success. I mean, some people thought, okay, well, this it, you know did well, but is it going to last? Kind of kind of deal, and it, and it really stayed uh, you know in there mm-hmm. throughout like like the rest of the year. Um, and so, yeah, uh, I don't know. I'm, I like, like, like you've said before, I just feel kind of depressed now, uh, talking about it, realizing that we're not going to have, uh, American beauties in, in the future. And even if we did, what they would be on streaming, would that really have the same kind of impact? Probably not. I mean, I can't see people being like, yeah, you got to check out this movie about, you know, this guy having a midlife crisis on, on Netflix. No, yeah. it would probably be like, uh, the closest you would get to like a success or where people like talking about or engaging it is something like big little lies, like some sort of HBO, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, uh, mini series, which I know that's gone on to have a second season, but something like that, where it's like, you're, you're primed, like an audiences expect like, okay, I'm going to really get into the weeds, like with these characters. And we're going to like have an episode focusing on the mother, the father, the, the daughter, all of that. Uh, that's just, something i mean it would still have to be i guess prestige in a way and be on hbo to get any sort of particular notice but yeah unfortunately that's that's probably where this is gonna where this will reside so that's why we're doing this uh retro podcast all right i think it's become kind of old hat uh doing the trivia to get to the next episode uh <laughs> it's all because... that for you and i but i'm sure like most of if anyone listening probably thinks the clues are horrible and they have no idea what we're talking about <laughs> but uh yeah maybe there's a better way to uh prime people for what's coming up next can you do you want to do the do you want maybe the kevin bacon thing or maybe yeah maybe try to connect kevin spacey to uh the next movie <laughs> sure we can we can do that uh the the next movie kevin spacey um God, he would, uh, I would say the, well, the easiest one for me, is this cheating to use uh, Sam Jackson? Because I always thought like that was, you know, that, that man just works so much that he's kind of a, uh, no, kind of a Trump card. No, of course it's not play. cheating. Uh, okay. So uh, Kevin Spacey was in uh, Time to Kill with Samuel L. Jackson, who was in uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance. I know you like Die Hard with a Vengeance. So that's why I was, I'm playing to the crowd or attempting to with Bruce Willis, who uh, is the star of a, uh, a uh, film that people uh, probably have not seen. Uh, it's not really talked about. I guess it was a prestige film only based on the source material, much beloved novel Breakfast of Champions is our, our next film. Breakfast of Champions, directed by Alan Rudolph, uh, who is a filmmaker uh, I, I like quite a bit sometimes and sometimes <laughs> not really. Uh, so there we go. You sound like my review of American Beauty. You sound like the the hedging that I was doing, where it's like, well, this is good, but this I I don't like. So that's that's good. Well, uh, I don't know if we'll have as much to say about Breakfast of Champions because I don't think we're gonna be able to respond to the legacy of this upcoming film like we were with American Beauty. But please uh, tune in, anyways. <laughs> yes, <laughs> we we need it. That's yeah. That's that's what that's our, that's our midlife crisis we're having here. And if you'd like to continue the conversation with us, feel free to do so on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at 99from99. 99 99.